Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so excited you're here today. It is so good to be back. I missed you guys last week, so let's all stand and praise the Lord together.
Yeah, our sins are many. His mercy is more. Hello? Excuse me, Pastor Pays. Excuse this, uh, me. This, this, this we have a little mutiny going on. Uh-oh. Yes. Yes. I'm Jerry. I'm on the board of trustees. And um, thanks for coming up, Pat. Okay. Um, so anyway, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. And I just wanted to say a few words to our wonderful pastor team, right? So this is... <laughs> um, in Jeremiah 3.15, it says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. And I think you embody that. We're really grateful. And then in Ephesians 4.11, it says, So Christ himself gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to, a few of us got together um, to get you a few of your favorite things. And um, we just want you to know... <laughs> We want you to know you are loved, you're appreciated, and we're so grateful that you followed God's, God's call on your heart. So, you're welcome. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We're, we feel appreciated and loved, and we really do love being here at First Baptist Church. Thank, thank God for each one of you. And I'm... Uh, this, this is the day the Lord has made, so we're going to rejoice and be glad in it, but I, we need to be praying right now for what's going on in this world. We need to pray for Israel right now because uh, it seems to me like I read something about the king of the south and the king of the north and uh, things kind of come together out in the middle of the Holy Land, and, and this could be. We could be listening for the trumpet sound, and that would be okay with me. It really would. I know Brian Trainer, Where are you, Brian? I know you're hoping the Lord waits at least 14 days before he comes back. He's getting married in 13 days, but <laughs> that was the only thing in Bible college that gave me pause about the Lord coming back. Just wait till I get married first, please. But you know, in all seriousness, who knows? I mean, the Lord may come back very, very soon. So uh, let's pray for Israel right now. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we believe that the book of Genesis tells us that you have chosen a people unto yourself and that the, that nation is the nation of Israel as originally formed in the earlier chapters of Genesis. And Father, you called Abraham from his hometown to show him a place that you would lead him to and that you would bless him there and you would multiply his seed there. And even though it seemed impossible because for so many years Sarah could not conceive, but still you fulfilled your promise as you always do. Father, we know that you've promised to be a friend to those who are friends to Israel and an enemy to those who are enemies of Israel. And Lord, we know there are people uh, that are Palestinians that are not for the carnage and not for uh, the warfare and not for the taking of hostages and not for the uh, bombing, indiscriminate bombing of civilians. We know there are good uh, Arabs, good Palestinians who don't want that. But for right now, their leadership is... Uh, violating every sense of, of what's right in, in this conflict so far. So, Father, we pray that you would protect your nation, your people. Lord, we're so glad that we have been, as Gentiles, grafted in, and we're considered your people as well. And we look forward to the day <clears throat> when Israel will be a nation 
saved as in a day. And Lord, we thank you for that, and we know it'll be a great day for them and a great day for you and a great day for all of us. So Father, bless, we pray, your will be done. We listen for the trumpet sound and for the soon return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray today. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today. Continue to pray for them. Uh, if you're a first-time guest and we've got to meet some folks, we've got someone here all the way from Argentina. We're glad to have you. We've got some people from North Carolina, which is almost as far as Argentina. <laughs> Maybe not. We've got some folks, other folks that are visiting, and I'm not sure where you're from, uh, but we're sort of glad to have you all here. So in front of you in the chair backs is a, something called a connection card, and if you would please take that, there should be a pen there also, and fill this out. Give it to me, give it to my wife, give it to the greeter at the front, or put it in that offering box, which is to the left of the double doors uh, as you leave in a little while. Put that in there. We'll have a regular visit. If you'll fill this out and turn it in, we will get a Starbucks card to you just because we appreciate you so much. Ryan. What? Congratulations. All right. Good deal. Super. Thank you for letting us know that. All right. Today we're going to have a picnic after this. By the way, pray for this message. This is a tough message. I hope you still appreciate me after this message because it's... <laughs> I, I know where the back door is in case I need to make for it right after the service, but uh, Sermon on the Mount, part six, superior ethics, and then after that, we're going to meet right up here at Spreckles Park for a cookout. We've got the meat, we've got the sides, we've got the desserts, we've got the drinks. Come on up and join us, and we'd love to have you there. Then next Sunday, Lord willing, Sermon on the Mount, part seven, superior ethics too. This is getting to be crazy. It's a series within a series within a series at this point. Um, also, we have a new member class next Sunday. Right after this service, we'll have lunch here for the people who sign up for the new members class, and then you take the class, and if you want to become a member after that, you may do so. If you don't desire to be one after you have that, you still got the free lunch. So it's a win-win situation. Come be part of that. Also, the teens will meet again starting this coming Sunday. We've had a little hiatus because our leaders have had some difficulties with their, and, and family and lost some family and so on. So <clears throat> teens will be meeting. And also, there will be a ladies' Christmas tea meeting for any ladies who are interested in hosting tables and that's going to be uh, in December the 2nd, is, but they're organizing right now, getting things together. So come find out, uh, stick around for that meeting, and you will learn what you need to know about that. We need wrapped candy for the fall festival, the Halloween outreach, and we need people to help with that. We, I think, have sign-up sheets that have started. If you're interested, you can use a connection card, you, and you can and you, see if I can do that again. Uh, uh, and you can put on there your contact information, name and contact information, and, and uh, say the fall festival. And we invite you to come take part in that and dress up. But we do ask you to please be mindful. Uh, it is a satanic. A lot of things about it are satanic. We're, we're trying to use it for the glory of God, kind of turn it around, give out gospel tracts and Bibles and so on, uh, and just be a, a good neighbor in our community. So don't dress up as like the devil or, you know, something really gory or, you know, no, none of that kind of stuff, whatever that means. Uh, yeah. So that's coming up, of course. Then uh, also on December the 2nd, my wife is going to be the speaker for the ladies' Christmas tea, so uh, she will do a great job. By the way, if you've gotten our book, 
if it's real boring at the first part, skip over to her part because that's the good part. That's the great stuff. Mine's just like, uh, you know, warmed up sermons or something. But hers are awesome things and awesome stories, and, and you will really enjoy it. But uh, tickets will be on sale. Uh, okay, one other thing to keep in mind. Franklin Graham is coming to Chula Vista March the 9th. Now, we'll, probably, we'll be reminding you of this March the 9th. He will be in Chula, at the Chula Vista uh, amphitheater, which I'm not sure what the name of it is now because they change it every week, but uh, it's, it's down there uh, about a hop, skip, and a jump from where we live. So uh, we want to participate in that as a church. So there are two training sessions coming up to help you learn how to witness and how to uh, give a testimony for the glory of God and how to win friends to Christ. And it'll be October 19th and 21st at Ocean View Church. I, I, I remember that church is over in the South Bay somewhere, yeah, and uh, on Palm Avenue, 2460 Palm, but October 19th, 21st, we'll give you more about that a little bit later on, and uh, Rachel, come on down and tell us something about Live Love while she's coming. Um, I was, I'm not going to read the bulletin article on uh, reconciliation and, and atonement and so on, but if you get a chance later on, please read the bulletin article. It will be a blessing to you. But this is Rachel, the wayward child from Texas, <laughs> coming, back to, coming back home, the prodigal daughter, not really, just quit hiring people and moving them out of state here. That's all I got to say. Give us, here's your microphone right here. Give us a testimony about what's going on. Speaking of, I think Rebecca's in here somewhere. She's serving probably, but this is her last Sunday, Rebecca Denton and Matea. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. So um, we can pray that, over that later. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to say hi to my friend Monica, who's watching from video. I just love her so much, and I'm hoping to see you today. We'll see. Um, and uh, this Live Love update is about... Um, I have a picture coming up, but this Live Love update is about God's faithfulness and his discipline and prayerful waiting and patience. He says in James 1, 2 through 8, my brothers, count it all joy when you various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So as we all know, the devil is a liar. There is no truth in him. So when a person is able to submit to God, then that's what we do. So under your chair is a little slip of paper. So we get to sing a joyful noise to him from Jeremiah 33.3. If you don't have one under your chair, you can share. But it's right there. So we're all going to close our eyes. If you don't know the verse, that's okay. You can keep a cracked eye open. But if you can, close your eyes. And we're going to go into his throne room of grace and receive mercy right now. This is a verse that I love, and I have a song for it. So I'm going to sing. If you want to sing, you'll get it. If you just want to say the words, go ahead. Um, but this is between you and the Lord. 
And if you've walked with me at any point in time, you've already heard this. Because <laughs> I do this a lot. Call to me and I will answer you. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Call to me, call to me. All right. On that note, everything is not always what it seems. In fact, 11 years ago, I'm giving you all a backstory so you guys can know how the Lord has brought us to today. 11 years ago, it seemed obvious to me that God was going to destroy, remove from my life the business in order to fulfill his purpose. But it turned out, as I was asking for, for that, he whispered, Rachel, this is mine. I know it's hard. Quit asking me to remove it. Instead, get with my program, and you will see my faithfulness. By God's grace, I was able to submit. Only in the last 11 years has the Lord been revealing many things to me and affirming in the lives of those walking closely with me. The company that God has transformed and established as his own and put my husband Gary as the fearless leader known as GMS Industrial Supply has been the means in which God has and will accomplish his purpose for those that come in and those that go out. The more people who are privy to know this, because I have a lot of people who've worked for us and no longer work for us, <laughs> um, but the more people who are privy to know this, the more their reason for being here changes. We have had so many people God has brought in and taken out for reasons much deeper than I can comprehend. My role over the years has changed from doing all the tasks to remaining rooted in him, prayerfully encouraging hearts and minds to walk closely with Jesus because he has revealed this is what matters most. Over the years, as the Lord has revealed his plan to me, he continues to bring even more people into the mix, people with skills that I didn't even know that I would need, like welders of late, welders Carpenters, electricians, plumbers, all of which will ultimately be used to build his church and discipleship community in the heart of a little wine country, Germantown, called Fredericksburg, Texas, where everyone drinks buckets and still claims to love Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's crazy. I don't know about their reality or their faith in Christ, but what I do know is the mission is even more clear to make disciples, to grow in his grace, walk in fellowship with him, and therefore with each other right where we are, utilizing the means, resources, and people we have been given to do it. What a blessing that everything you see is the work of God. Not one thing can I or anyone boast in. It's only in Christ alone. I praise God for his provision, for people that he has brought to come alongside all of you, what he is doing with what was once a little small business, he has shown Gary and I the difference is in devoting our life to his mission, his purpose for living, and doing it right where we are. We have been in prayer over the people, the church he will build, the homes dedicated for gathering, 
the land used for fellowship and fun, the kitchen where food will be prepared daily for times of communion and meals, the pond pool built for baptisms, and his cross to remember his blood shed for me and you. So please, I'm here standing here for, to give you this update to my family. When God brings us to your heart and mind, please continue praying for God to use us right where he has called us to build his kingdom by faith through his powerful leading of the Holy Spirit and the obedient hearts that he alone gives. If you are further led by God to come alongside or give monetarily, please do. You can do this through the church directly. You can just put LLFS in the memo. Thank you all so much. I'm so grateful. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel. Let's begin as we worship the Lord.
Amen. Best praise team in all of Coronado, right up here. Maybe in San Diego, maybe in California, who knows. Thank you guys for what you do for us. We appreciate it. You may be seated. I'm going to ask uh, that the little ones come up here before we go to class. All the children come on up here for just a moment while they're coming to the front. Uh, and I share a little minute message with them. I want the rest of you to be finding in your Bibles, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 20, as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and you have your Bible? Hold it up. Let me see your Bible. Let me see. You got an electronic device? If it's on there, go ahead and hold it up. All right, good. This is good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 in just a moment. But first of all, boys and girls, uh, First Baptist Church, I want to say, first of all, thank you for being in God's house. Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you here. Now, if I were to ask you what it meant, what atonement meant, or what reconciliation means, it might be kind of hard for you to describe that, because those are kind of terms that some of us have trouble, even as adults, describing. But if I say forgiveness... Who understands what that means, to forgive? What is, you understand that? Anybody want to tell me what forgive means? Anybody have an idea? Huh? Forgiveness means if someone does something against us and hurts our feelings or hurts us physically, we forgive them. We have a change of attitude about them. Instead of being angry at them, Instead of being hateful toward them, we forgive them. We, that's what Jesus does with all of our sins. He forgives us. And the Bible tells us if we forgive people who sin against us, then we do, we're doing what Jesus does as his, one of his main works. But if we don't forgive people, then it says he won't forgive us either. So it's very important to forgive people who do wrong and not to be angry toward them, and not to be mean toward them, but to love them anyway in spite of what they do that's a problem. So uh, you know what forgiveness means now. So that means you got to forgive your brother and your sister. Ooh, that's hard. And your mom and your dad, if they mess up, and your aunts and your uncles and other people at church, just be forgiving. God will bless you for it. Let's pray. Are we, are we pointing people out here? Okay, that's it's cool, yeah. That's, that's, that's called application, absolutely. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, bless these girls and these boys, and God, work in their hearts and their lives. Grow them up to love you and to serve you. Help them to practice forgiveness to people who've wronged them, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your classes, and thank you so much for being in God's house. Uh, all right. In the last several weeks, and I'm telling you, I didn't know how long this series was going to go on, this Sermon on the Mount, for heaven's sake. Uh, in, in the series within a series, we have covered the blesseds or the happy are the people who, and there's several things we talked about in the blesseds. And then we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the persecution that Christians endure uh, for taking a stand for what is right and what, for, for the gospel. Uh, last week, we talked about being salt and light, and we talked about law and righteousness, and both, uh, both of those things, all four of those things are very, very important. Today, I'm going to be up front with you. We're traveling into some real troubling, troubling territory, especially for Pharisees, and for those who think they're keeping the law, it's going to be a, a, a difficult thing. We learn that contrary to some teachings that you might hear today, that Jesus is not doing away and hasn't done away with the law. In fact, he strengthens the law. His ethics 
are superior to the religionists of the day. So the Sermon on the Mount, part six, Superior Ethics is the title. Kind of a lengthy title, kind of a lengthy sermon, kind of a lengthy series. Uh, That's just the way it's going. Our text is in Matthew chapter five, and there are six illustrations of how Jesus' ethics were superior to those of the Pharisees who claimed to have between 600 and 1,700 commandments identified in the Old Testament and who claimed to be keeping those uh, commandments. Now, uh, the folks working the slides are going to be in trouble today because I completely forgot my script. So they may show a picture of, I don't know, my puppy up here when I'm talking about something. uh, You know, it may not be coordinated. My apologies. It's my fault if we don't get exactly the right slide up at the right time. But let's start with Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. This sets the stage for the next uh, expositional uh, passage. He says, for I say unto you that except your righteousness, remember what that is, your right living, your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. You can forget about seeing the kingdom. You can forget about entering the kingdom. Jesus says, if your righteousness is not exceeding the righteousness of these very holy people who had high offices within Judaism... The first three of these six illustrations are found in the following verses. First of all, concerning murder. Concerning murder. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. Now, when he says you have heard that our ancestors were told, that oftentimes in Scripture is a reference to the Old Testament. So when he's talking to the New Testament era people, he's talking to the people of, uh, of Rome uh, around 30. 33, 35, somewhere in there, A.D., he's talking about uh, our ancestors heard through the revealed word of Almighty God, the Holy Scriptures, that you must not murder, which means to kill a person unjustly. And then it goes on to say, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. The judgment there equates to the English word condemnation. You're going to be condemned if you kill someone unjustly, whether before a human court or divine court, we are accountable if we take a human life. Verse 22, but I say, and, and this structure here is, is emphatically, I say, it's like I am telling you this. Listen up. It's like when your mom or dad said, listen to me now, or your teacher said, pay attention. Uh, it's being in the emphatic uh, presentation here. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. That is so alien in our Facebook culture. Twitter, tweet, X, TikTok, whatever else goes on, I don't know. Um, I I have trouble keeping up with email. uh, But anyhow, if you're angry with someone, if you're provoked at someone, if you find yourself wrathful against someone, and particularly without cause, you are subject to judgment. And the, the same Greek word is used here for judgment that's used for judgment regarding committing a murder and taking unjustly a person's life. It's the same word. So it crosses over both these ideas, not just if you shoot someone, if you stab someone to death, if you push them off a cliff, you've committed murder. But if guess what? If you're wrathful toward them and angry toward them, you are guilty of the same judgment. Now, that's amazing to me, but it doesn't stop there. He says, if you call someone and it's raka, which means worthless, or in the NLT, it says, if you call someone an idiot, 
And that made me cringe when I read that. <laughs> One day, our son came home, a little kid in our Christian school there. He said, he asked his mom, he said, what does ignorant savage mean? Some girl that called him an ignorant savage. <laughs> uh, that may be close to an idiot. I don't know, but raka or worthless, precise meaning is unknown of that, but it's, a, it's an expression of contempt, perhaps equivalent to saying you fool, you idiot, you dunderhead, you fill in the blank. You're in danger. Listen to this. If you call someone a name like that, and it doesn't say this is cursing, like bringing a curse upon them, but it says you're in danger of being brought before the court, whether it's a Sanhedrin, which was the high Jewish court, or some local court, it doesn't specify there. And if you curse someone by calling them a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. What? Just for calling someone a name? So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, this is how serious it is. If you take, you take that lamb without spotted blemish, or the doves if you were very poor, or whatever it was you were taking as a sacrifice. You go to the temple, you make that sacrifice, and in the process of doing that, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, which is different than you having something against someone else. They're both included, but this, is, this means if someone has something against you, you know what our position usually on that is? Well, that's their problem. They don't like me, I don't care. That's their problem. They don't like what I had to say or what I had to do. That's, that's on them. That's on their. No, not according to Jesus. It's on us. If we're making a sacrifice and we suddenly remember that someone has something against us, we're to leave the sacrifice at the altar. And in King James, it says, first, leave the sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, which means, I didn't tell the kids what it meant, but it means to change one's feelings towards someone. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. And in other words, quickly make friends, quickly get reconciliation taken care of. It's, this is legal language that Jesus is using here. After someone's on trial, it's past time to repair the relationship. So do it ahead of time. Otherwise, he continues, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free until you've paid the last penny. In other words, failure to reconcile before the fact, it means one is subject to what eventuates from being unreconciled, which can be very, very bad. So murder is the unjust killing of another human being. And such action was obviously condemned, as they heard about in days of old. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17, thou shall not kill. Very plain. What does that mean? In the original Hebrew, it means thou shall not kill. That's what it means, in, or slay, or take someone's life, or murder. You're not supposed to do that. There is such a thing <clears throat> as the just taking of human life. Now, theological liberals don't believe this, but the Bible actually called for capital punishment for people who killed other people without cause and people who kidnapped other people. They, the government is supposed to, in the case of the theocracy of Israel, they were to take this person out and slay them because they took an, an, another life. That's a just taking of life when capital punishment is, uh, is exercised. Warfare, for you who are in the military, Warfare is absolutely uh, a just taking of human life. 
although there could be situations, as you're well aware, where murder would occur, uh, illegal killing, even in a war-like setting. I, everybody understands that. So there's a, and, and then there's also provision in the Word of God for accidentally taking someone's life. If you're chopping wood and the axe uh, head flies off and kills someone, or if you threw a stone and didn't realize someone was there and, uh, and hit them with that stone, the accidental human, we call it manslaughter today. Uh, the cities of refuge were established, six different cities in the nation of Israel, and a person who accidentally took someone else's life without intent, without premeditation, uh, would go to those cities, one of those cities, and stay there as long as the, the high official of that city was still alive. They could not be put to death. If they left before the, the official of that city died, then they could be put to death, even for an accidental taking of human life. So the text makes it clear that Jesus is speaking about anger that precedes actual murder, uh, in some case results in actual murder and the unlawful taking of another's life. So rightly understood, Jesus' interpretation of the law goes much further than the hearers had ever thought about. And by the way, there's literal murder we've been talking about, first and foremost, but then there's the calling, the uttering of reka, or you idiot, or whatever. And one commentator says, raka or reka expresses contempt for a man's head or brains. When we talk about idiot or stupid or dumb, it's, it's talking about his head, which actually may mean more than that, may mean his life. So if you, in fact, uh, utter raka to this person, you're, you're expressing contempt for his head. Uh, the other word, more, M-O-R-E, expresses contempt for the heart and the character of a person. So be careful, Christian. Be careful, guys and gals. When we start calling people names, we start referring to them uh, and, and using these kinds of names, we're, we're bringing judgment upon ourselves. Another commentator regards the three sins of murder as equivalent. Whether you take a person's life, whether you call them a name, whether you curse them in the name, uh, murder there's also murder, character assassination, and killing the spirit of someone. So we got to be careful about all those things. So in this text, we see an escalation of the offense. It goes from anger. I'm, I can't believe what he said about me. I can't believe what they did. Uh, I'm ticked. I'm aggravated. I'm whatever. Uh, anger without due cause. Or, and then calling a man stupid or worthless or fool, and then the third progression, the taking of life and murder. So there's also this progression in the judgment. There's the local court, the Sanhedrin, the judgment of God himself. So those that are guilty of doing these things were worthy of the Valley of, of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was outside of Jerusalem and was a place where it, actually Old Testament paganism took place and pagan worship and child sacrifice. People would take their babies and would, would let them be consumed alive in fire. Uh, this all happened in the Valley of Hinnom, uh, and refuse later on was burned there. It's, it's a type of the fires of hell and the future lake of fire. I was reading in Jeremiah about that uh, this week. If you're reading through the Bible uh, in one year, you may be in the book of Jeremiah also. In verse 23, it shows us a relationship between our anger and our worship. The wording shifts from in general, you all in general, to you if you have, if you're getting ready to make a sacrifice, make an offering, and, and you remember someone has something against you, you have a responsibility. Reconciliation is more important than sacrifice. Leave the sacrifice there, go make things right, come back. Now, look, this is the way things ought to be taken care of. 
People ought not leave churches mad. They ought to reconcile. People ought not leave friendships mad. They ought to reconcile. This is God's way of dealing with problems, with difficulties. The spirit of personal reconciliation uh, in which we worship is more important than the ritual worship itself. Can I say that again? I don't know. We'll try. The spirit of personal reconciliation in which we worship is as important as the ritual worship itself. If we are unreconciled, we'll pay dearly for that. Now, if you go to someone, you say, okay, preacher, wait a minute. I know so-and-so. If I go to them and ask them to forgive me, I know what's going to happen. Well, there's one of three things that I think could happen. There may be more than that, but it's one of three things. You could go and I could go to my wife and I could say, honey, I am so sorry for what I said about your chicken that you cooked last night. I am so sorry. She didn't cook chicken. She cooked pork chop and it was delicious. But this is a theoretical only. This is for illustrative purposes. Uh, So if I go to Shira and I say, and I say something and, and, and offend uh, any, anybody, whoever, and, and I say, would you forgive me, Shira, for what I said about the songs? And, you know, and she can either do one of three things, right? She can say, oh, yeah, Pastor, it's okay. You were right. I should listen to you more because you're always right about everything. <laughs> and then we, we're reconciled and things are all good to go, see? Or, or she can say, absolutely not. You, you hurt my feelings. You stepped on my toe. That's my ministry. You didn't let me. And, and so she could not forgive. And in which case, that's on her at that point. So I step back, wait for the heavens to open up and take care of it. Third thing that might happen, you might ask someone for forgiveness and they might not respond at all. And that's still on them. You have done your job and your part in asking for reconciliation, asking for forgiveness. So don't let what you anticipate their response to be to determine whether you obey God. You can only do what you can do. You can't do for them what they ought to do. Nor can you do for God what only he can do, right? So do what you can do. So make agreement with your adversary if possible. By the way, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, just listen. It'll take you too long to find it. I'm running over time already. Believers were not to go to law against each other. That's what Paul says. When one of you, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? Folks, we're going to be with the Lord sitting in judgment upon the world, the, the, the sinful world. Uh, and since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to the outside judges who are not respected by the church? I'm saying this to your shame, Paul says. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is is defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. So you know what? There's there's something to be said for Christian mediation. Now, I understand when there are criminal 
cases, that's a different story. But I'm talking about, he said, the leading to these matters. We're going to judge angels. Can't we take care of these little bickering things, these little difficulties, these little problems, relatively minor problems? So he says, here's how you do it. You take care of it amongst yourself. The second thing, now if I haven't lost you yet, I'm getting there. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you've heard the commandment that says you, sh- you must not commit adultery. Uh, some, someone said a long time ago that adultery is when you are involved physically, sexually with someone else who is married. It's much more than that. To commit sexual infidelity, and I quote from a commentary right now, of any kind, whether involving a married person or not, it means to give oneself up to fornication, implying the excessive sexual indulgence. In verse 28, Jesus said, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart, in his cardia, which is the heart, the seat, and the the center of human emotion, not the physical organ. Everybody knows that, I think. Uh, It's the part uh, deep inside of us. In the New Testament, uh, it's used figuratively as the seat of desire, feelings, affections, passions, impulse, and and all of that. So he says, uh, you've heard said of old in the scriptures, in fact, in one of the the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, guys, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your innermost being of your heart. So, verse 29, because of that, if your eye offends you, even your good eye, which is referring to the right eye here, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Okay, you got a choice. It's not a good choice. You can lust and gouge your eye out, or you can choose not to indulge in lust. That's the better way to handle it. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And, verse 30, if your hand, even your strong hand, or your right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, this seems like a little, and I actually have read reports of people who have gouged their eyes out, who were probably uh, experiencing some kind of psychosis, uh, or extreme neuroses, uh, but I would say psychoses to interpret this literally. It's, he's not meaning this literally. He's meaning to take control. I, I quote another commentator. says, Jesus could be speaking of one who looks at a woman with the intention of committing adultery or to one who looks at a woman for the purpose of getting her to lust after him. Either way, the present tense participle refers to one who continues to look rather than just a passing glance. In either case, the mere viewing or mental imaging of a body is not under consideration. Instead, Jesus is condemning lustful thoughts and actions. So he continues uh, that those involving an actual desire um, to have sexual relations with someone other than one's spouse, yet despite the danger of over-applying this verse, where we could get ridiculous, I suppose, and, and, and you would say, the only way I can keep from doing any, having any thoughts that are not right and holy is to blindfold myself. That would be over-applying it. There's also a danger with Christians, in my opinion, maybe with non-Christians too, of under-applying it to where it's, you know, guys get to go, hey, hey, look, check her out. Yeah. All that kind of thing. He continues, adultery among Christians today is a scandal. 
yet it almost never occurs without precipitation. There are all kinds of things that happen. Christians must recognize those thoughts and actions uh, which long before any overt sexual sin make the possibility of giving a temptation to be more likely, and they must take dramatic action to avoid them. Again, I thank God literally for a college professor in Baptist Bible College who told me and told us as a a class, watch out for three things. Three things take more preachers out of ministry than, than anything else. Look out for gold, look out for girls, look out for glory. Look out for gold, look out for girls, look out for glory. For that reason, I don't handle the money. I, don't, I do not know where the checks are kept. I don't write checks. I don't count the money. I don't, I don't know the combination to the safe. I assume we have a safe. I don't know the combination to it. I, I, I purposely uh, set up barriers. Counseling, ladies, if you you know, if if we have counseling, the doors open, and uh, and Julie walks by back and forth with a machete, uh, <laughs> and uh, and and if you break down on the side of the road and I drive by, I'll wave. Uh, no, I probably arrange for something, some kind of help, but I'm not going to be. I, I hear of preachers that go to lunch with. Uh, women, I uh, and I don't do that. I'm sorry, unless my wife was with me. I'm not going to do that. Uh, this is the kind of thing that Mike Pence got in tr- got made fun of uh, because he wouldn't go to lunch with people as a politician of the opposite sex. But it's, in my opinion, just good sense, really good sense. Uh, now, this is one of the things we had to talk about, Pat and I had to talk about when I became a chaplain for the police force because so many of the officers now are, are, are females. My thought is she's got a gun. I don't, so like I'm going to try something with her, you know. And the third thing is to deflect glory to God. I appreciate, Jerry, I appreciate, church, your appreciation of us, but I'm going to tell you something. I know me very well, and I am a rascal. I am. It's but the grace of God that I'm able to stand before you. It's only for the grace of God that I haven't messed up in any of these areas or all of these areas. It's only the grace of God. I'm telling you, guys, listen to me. The first man who ever lived, the man after God's own heart, the strongest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, all had girl trouble. Every one of them. Who do we think we are? And he's not saying pluck your eyes out because a blind person, listen to me, can still lust. A maimed person can still lust. Rather, take drastic measures to avoid the temptation of sexual sin. Incorporate some of these principles that we've been talking about here. Put fences between you and what's wrong. You and what you know uh, would, would lead you into... Stay away from certain situations. Stay away from certain people. Stay away from the part of the neighborhood that you used to go to or whatever. Stay away from that. Don't, don't let pornography lead you uh, like a hook in your jaw to moral death. Third point, if I haven't lost you by now... You, 
I'm getting ready to head out the back door, okay? Concerning divorce, verses 31 32. You've heard the law that says, Jesus speaking, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And what follows that is a discussion about divorce, since divorce often follows adultery. I would suppose the ultimate betrayal of a, of a spouse is if they are unfaithful with someone else. Perhaps being ladies being beaten up by your husband would be would be right up there too. Guys, if you've been beat up by your wife, I have no pity. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I just that's the sexist part of me. You know, it's like, what's with you, buddy? Uh, the Old Testament divorce was regulated but not banned. Do you know that? God divorced Israel in the Old Testament. But he's going to take her back. So in Deuteronomy 24, there are some restrictions about being divorced and, 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 and getting back with that other person. In the first century, there were two schools of thought in the Jewish community. One of them, and I may not pronounce these names right, uh, Shammai and Hillel. Hillel or Hillel, uh, and they, they debated the, the appropriate grounds for divorce. And Hillel permitted a man to put away his wife for any good reason. It could be because she burned the chicken. It could be. It could be any, anything. I didn't like her. I don't like her jokes. I don't think she's, yeah. Uh, it can be for any reason. But Shammai limited it to unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness. So Jewish law required divorce in the case of adultery. Guess what? Christian Christianity does not demand divorce in the face of adultery. Does not. It permits. I believe there are two reasons for scriptural divorce. One of them would be unfaithfulness. You have the option. The other is desertion or abandonment. Those two, either one, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for that second reference. Uh, Jesus never commands divorce but permits it if all attempts at reconciliation have, have failed. Uh, and, and the phrase causes her to become an adulteress is misleading. The Greek does not use the noun adulteress of the woman who is divorced, uh, but rather the verb makes her commit adultery. There's no indication that a second marriage, even following an illegitimate divorce, is seen as permanent adulterous relationship. There's none. It's not in the Word of God. Divorced Christians who have remarried should not commit the sin of a second divorce to try to get back to the first partner or whatever. That's just not the way it works. So divorce is really hard for everybody in this society in which we live. Here's, here's what my understanding of it is. Uh, we should not commit adultery. Can we agree on that? We should not commit adultery, whether physically or metaphorically. We should not, guys. Guys, I, I, I kind of say the first look is free. And I don't mean that you're looking for something. But I mean, if you're driving down the street and some lady is walking by not dressed appropriately. And by the way, we, we live in a strange culture. It's like, why blame the girl? Well, because she's in her underwear. And the line in front of me... And guys are visually stimulated. Ladies, you know that. Guys are visually stimulated. That's why he talks about the eyes and the hands. Those are things that are involved in 
the sexual unfaithfulness. So, so you got to avoid it the best you can, but there is, some, there is some reason why I can't believe the way I see some of the high school girls dressed in our public school. I would have flunked out. <laughs> the square root of pi, whoa. What were we talking about, square pies? Uh, <laughs> we should not commit adultery physically or metaphorically. Secondly, we should continually work on our marriages. One of the things that I think both Pat and, my, and I put into our book is that it, it's, not, it's not a dash, it's a, it's a marathon. Continually working on it. I, I, I phrased it this way, uh, and it, it is kind of corny to a lot of people, but I don't really care. There, I'm back to that thing. I don't really care what you think, so I'm guilty of that. But anyhow, we're still on our honeymoon. I still open doors for her. I still do nice things for her. I still I love her. I buy her orchids, like bunches of orchids, way too many orchids. But we got orchids everywhere. You want some orchids, come over to our house. We'll give you some orchids. But we, could, we should continually work on our, and don't Say things are going to tear down. Do things are going to build up. Number three, when conflict arises, we should endeavor to reconcile and forgive. When problems occur, reconcile and forgive. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Literally, take that to heart. Number four, divorce should never be an easy out. I tell people when I'm counseling young couples who are about to get married, don't even tease about divorce. Don't even say, I'll tell you what, if you do that again, I'm going to go to mama. (laughs) I'm going to go home to mama. You know, it may be funny the first 30 times or 40 times or 150 times, but there's going to come a point when it won't be so funny, and the husband's going to say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you? Because you're sowing seeds that are the wrong kind of seeds to be sown in a marriage. If a divorce, number five, was not for scriptural reasons, we should reconcile if possible. If there's been a remarriage, then forgiveness is still in order. By the way, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is rejection of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And every sin I'm guilty of and every sin everybody in this room is guilty of can be under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can be washed clean and pure as if we had never sinned. Next week, we tackle the next three illustrations of Jesus' superior ethics. This week, what have we learned? Jesus was not impressed with the righteousness of the Pharisees, our righteousness must exceed theirs. And and they appeared to be so righteous, and they were so wrong. Number two, there's more than one way to kill someone. Physically, reputation-wise, killing their spirit, anger, and name-calling make us guilty of homicide. Number three, Reconciliation is necessary before true worship can occur. There must be reconciliation. Number four, the first look is not the one that gets you guys, not the one that gets you in trouble. It's the second, third, and fifth, and tenth, and, and, and the staring. That, those will get you in trouble. Number five, the first, again, I already said this, first man, man, if God's so strong, man, all the, uh, divorce, number six, should never be an easy option. God allows it for the two reasons I mentioned, as far as I can understand, for adultery, unfaithfulness, and for abandonment or desertion. Otherwise, you should work him out. Till death do us part. And that doesn't mean till you shoot him. It means till God takes us home, okay? 
Not, don't, I'm doing God's work. No, put the gun down. You're not doing God's work. Next week, the Lord willing, Sermon on the Mount, Superior Ethics, Part 2, and New Members Class. Once you sign up, be sure to sign up on the connection card or let Julie know you'll be available. But let's first of all take care of business. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? This has been difficult, some difficult stuff for me to bring up. I hope you understand I only do so with love, and I do so with a desire to be true to the Word of God. I don't claim to know it all. I don't claim to be perfect in all my understanding of scriptural truths, but I believe that what I preached today was the very words of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray your blessings upon this congregation. God, I pray, I know you're working continually on our hearts and minds. I know, Lord, it's important to continually put the word of God in our brains and in our hearts and in our actions. I know, Lord, it's so important that the Holy Spirit give us the strength to control our natural and baser instincts and attitudes and desires. May we submit them to you every single day. Every day is a new day. We won the battle yesterday. doesn't mean we'll win the battle tomorrow. Because everything was great yesterday doesn't mean everything will be great tomorrow. Lord, there are battles that come. Israel was doing okay, and then there was a sudden war that broke out. So it is we're in warfare. The devil wants to destroy. Wants to destroy lives. Wants to destroy families. Wants to destroy churches. Wants to destroy nations. That's what he's good at, is destruction. So may we not listen to him, but listen to the Holy Spirit that you've given to us as our comforter, as the one who indwells us if we're born Father, if someone here needs to make something right with you, I pray they would do so in this invitation. If there's someone here who wants to receive what you've done for us in the way of providing salvation through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, I pray they do that. I pray that every man, every woman in this auditorium would listen to the Holy Spirit of God and do what you want them to do in this service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? This is our opportunity for you to come and to either pray with us or just pray right here at the altar with yourself and and, and ask God to save your soul. Ask God to restore your marriage and and love for each other. Ask God uh, to help work out the problems that we face as, as Christians, as human beings. So as the praise team leads us in song, sing along, but most importantly, take care of business with God. Come on from front. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. everybody bow your head one more time and you take care of business with God. Maybe something you want to talk to him about, something you need to talk to him about. Praise team is going to sing one verse. You just talk to God 
while they're singing. And if there's anything we can do, let us know. But otherwise, take care of business with God right now. when we have to say goodbye to some folks that we love. And I'm going to ask Rebecca and Matea to come up here. Uh, Rebecca Denton will be moving to some place in Texas, Fredericksburg or Fredericksville or Fredericks something. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to be missing her. Would you get your daughter and come on down here? We're going to have a word of prayer for them as they travel and uh, pray that God gives them traveling mercies and opens up many doors of opportunity and service for the Lord there. The picnic is going to be at the park. We have lots of food. We have lots of uh, friendship and fellowship to be had. So we're going to ask you after the service is over to go on up to Spreckles Park. You'll need your chairs or blanket or whatever you're going to use. But right now I'm going to ask my wife if she would. uh, and, And come gather around as much as you want to. Uh, This is Rebecca and Matea, and we love you guys, and we're going to miss you a lot. And Miss Pat's going to pray for you while others. Dear Lord, thank you so much for loaning us, Rebecca, while you did. And Lord, I know what a blessing she is and what a blessing she has been and what a blessing she will continue to be to new people and a new church family that you are calling her to. Lord, I pray that Texas will be a wonderful place for them, that they will uh, enjoy your blessings there as well as they have here. Lord, that they would serve you, that they would honor you, that they would tell people about you, and that people would be saved because of their efforts. Lord, give them peace, give them strength, give them proper places to live and proper places to worship. In your name we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great Lord's Day. See you over at the park. Come on over.